early February. It was supposed to snow and really didn't here in the Scranton Wilkesbury area. And we're as far away from Penn State football as you could possibly be. But there's a lot to talk about on today's edition of the Penn State and Football Podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Collins, your co-host, Sam Freeman, both from the Scranton Times with you today. Sam, how are we doing? It's going to be a busy show today. I'm doing great. I'm ready. Yeah, I mean, we you heard the press conference yesterday that down at Penn State, they did the winter media availability with James Franklin and the, the first-year players in State College. But James Franklin had a lot of interesting things to say about the state of college football, as he always seems to. And one of the things I think we probably should have talked about a little bit more about last week, uh, it's more apropos this week, because a lot of coaching moves have been happening around the game, and it's clearly a sign that there's an issue here. We have a sitting head coach in the Big Ten, Chip Kelly of UCLA. And it is strange to say that Chip Kelly is, number one, a sitting head coach in the Big Ten, and number two, that UCLA is in the Big Ten. But that's the world we live in. And Chip Kelly leaves UCLA to take the offensive coordinator position at Ohio State because Bill O'Brien, who had taken the Ohio State offensive coordinator position, left to take the head coaching position at Boston College, where Jeff Halfley, who was one of the more respected young coaches in college football, left the game completely to go coach the defense at Green Bay in the NFL. And Sam, well, I guess we'll first start with Bill O'Brien. I I think Penn State dodges a bullet here with Bill O'Brien not having to coach Ohio State against them in the fall because I don't know what that would have looked like for James Franklin at that point, and I don't know what it would have looked like for Bill at that point. And I'm kind of on the side of this that nobody else is on, that I didn't think it was really the right thing for for Bill to take the Ohio State job when he had coached at Penn State, and Penn State really gave him his head coaching opportunity. That said, it's no longer relevant because he took the Boston College job. What are your thoughts on O'Brien to Boston College? And and do you agree with me on that? Do you think that was going to be a big deal in in state colleges? Obviously, it was going to be. It was going to be a major storyline. But I I kind of thought that fans were a little more understanding of that than I I thought they'd be. And and I I didn't like that from a loyalty perspective from O'Brien. I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I, I think it would have been a big story that weekend. Um, and and although although fans took it well, um, you know, I, I, as the news broke, I, I wonder how 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 those emotions remain in check. You know, if if Penn State and Ohio State go into a an undefeated matchup, um, you know, with with high stakes as they have been in the in the past couple of years, obviously the conference is going to have a new look. So that's that's a harder road. But even even still. You know, having James Franklin coaching to some degree against his predecessor, I think uh, it's hard to ignore. I I, I don't want to say the stakes because, you know, I feel like I'm putting words in the mouths of everybody involved. But to me, you know, it's a little bit of a of a direct comparison. There's the there's you know, it is maybe not a fair comparison, but but you're looking at Bill O'Brien coaching against James Franklin to, 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 to some degree. When when I saw the news that that O'Brien took the Boston College job, I, uh, I I wasn't incredibly surprised. Not that I wouldn't have predicted it as it happened, but he's got ties to that area. Moving from an offensive coordinator job to a head coaching job pretty much always makes sense, especially because he seems to still have aspirations in the field. 
you know, him taking the the offensive coordinator job under Nick Saban sort of illustrated that and going back to the NFL briefly. But to me, the more interesting move was, like you said, a sitting head coach going and taking a coordinator job. And if that doesn't tell you sort of the state of college football right now, that Chip Kelly feels as though it's better for his career advancement to leave a head coaching job at UCLA to go be the offensive, I'm assuming the offensive play caller at Ohio State. You know, that, I mean, that to me, you can tell me if I'm reading this wrong. To me, that means the offensive coordinator job at Ohio State is a lot more valuable to somebody who's trying to land other jobs and do other things. It's more valuable to to work as an assistant at Ohio State than it is to lead an entire program, even in the Big Ten at UCLA. Um, you know, I, I do think UCLA's path in the Big Ten is going to be a little bit more difficult than, say, a USC. Um, so that almost certainly plays a factor. Uh, Ohio State is better poised, obviously, to perform well in the conference than UCLA is. So I'm sure that played a factor in his calculus, rather be a an assistant on a winning team than the head of a of a team that takes a step back. But I don't know. I was I was. I saw more now online. It's such a minority subset of the population, but I I saw more jokes and insults and whatever it may be sent O'Brien's way for taking the Boston college job than I did Chip Kelly taking the Ohio state job. And that to me was, was bizarre. You know, I I felt like the O'Brien move, although it happened, you know, what a week after taking the Ohio state job, that's a little bit more traditional of a, of a vertical move. (laughs) Chip Kelly's is, is is certainly something, especially in conference. Yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack there, and and I'll try to go step by step here. I and I, and I don't want to say how it probably came out earlier that I thought there was a that O'Brien should have been loyal to Penn State and not taken the Ohio State job. I, I'm not saying that. I, I I'm saying that I'm I'm surprised it wasn't taken that way by by some fans. And and look, I I don't know if that's a move that would have happened many years ago. Bill O'Brien made his name as a head coach at Penn State the best job he's ever done as a head coach is at Penn State maybe the best job he's ever done as a coach period is at Penn State he's a legend at Penn State and I'm not sure the record or the 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 results warrant that but the meaning does and when he took over and and all that we're not going to get into it what he did there was unquestionably big I think him going to Boston College doesn't surprise me he's a Dorchester native he is Boston through and through, and I think he's the perfect fit there. For a job that you have people not wanting now because of what college football has become, that head coaching position, I think Bill is actually uniquely suited to do it because he's got that general manager experience and the head coaching experience in the NFL. I, I think that's this is going to be more and more a fallback for NFL coaches who want to make a couple of bucks and kind of know that system a little bit better. This is not a system anymore where people who got into it to coach college are going to stay to coach college. And I do think that when we're talking about these roles with Chip Kelly and O'Brien, that needs to be said because Chip Kelly is an NFL guy too. Now he started out in college, but he's always been an NFL guy. He coached the Eagles. Everybody knows this. If an NFL team hired him this year, the Browns, I think he wanted to go to, I think maybe the Raiders were the other team he interviewed with or wanted to interview with or whatever the situation is, he'd be in the NFL. He wouldn't be at Ohio State. He'd be in the NFL. I certainly think there's a measure of 
Ohio State's job could get him an offensive coordinator position in the NFL quickly. But I also think there's probably a chance he's making what he's making anyway. He's The, the money he's going to make at Ohio State to be the coordinator is probably the same as he's making at UCLA to be the head coach. And there's a whole lot less bother and aggravation now to go along with it. So I think that goes along with it for Kelly. Now, to me, you mentioned that to you, the, the most interesting move was, was Kelly to Ohio State. And I think it's very interesting. To me, the most telling one is Halfley to the Packers. Because Halfley left the NFL because he wanted to be a college coach. Came to, came to Boston College. Did, by all accounts, a pretty good job there. Was really well respected around the country. And then left the first chance he could get because this was this was nonsense. <laughs> and I, I think that's what we're... Really, if when you hear James Franklin say that there are people getting into this for reasons that he doesn't like and that it's going to cost college football good coaches who care about being a tr- in a traditional sense college coach, I think that's the kind of thing he's talking about where it's halfly going. And I do think that's going to be the start of a trend because, look, it, it, the money – is not worth it. The money is pretty good as, as an NFL coordinator too. And certainly I've been to both places. I am not taking a job in green Bay when I have a really good one in Boston. It's, it's just not happening, but I, I could understand why you would take it from a professional standpoint. If you were tired of being a college head, head coach and all that, that goes along with it. I, I think that's something that would never have happened five, 10 years ago. You would never see chip Kelly passing up, a head coaching job to go in his league of his own volition for an, for a coordinator's position. And you would never see Halfley leave a major conference school with some history to take a coordinator's job in the NFL without prodding by the administration. And there wasn't any, he did it on his own uh, by all accounts. So I, I think what James says yesterday in that regard with, they have to fix this situation to kind of get college football more on the path it, should be on in the spirit of it than this nonstop free agency winner take all money 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 game that we have now and i'm saying money 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 from the players side and not just the the school side because the schools are making a ton of money on this too when james says that the sec and the big 10 that conglomeration between the two is the way to start getting this done i i sort of agree with him and i sort of don't because It's kind of like the SEC and the Big Ten stand to lose the most if this system changes too much. All the big prospects go to the SEC and Big Ten schools now. All the big coaches go to the SEC and Big Ten schools. They have the biggest television contracts. They make the most money off of the interest level in those two leagues. Why would they change much what they're doing right now? Why would Ohio State want to change the system? I don't get it. I don't get what the what the thought process is there that Ohio State, there's going to be this impotence to do the right thing. The right thing by them right now is we have the best boosters. We have the, and by boosters, I mean, quote unquote, the collective. We all know what they are. I, I, I don't see why they would want to change that when they're ahead of everybody doing that. Am I looking at this wrong? Is there a way to fix this that I that's going to be easy and painless and can be done quickly. I, I don't know that there is. And in the NCAA, I don't believe is going to have very much of a say because they're going to have some resistance from the top programs. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're Ohio state, I mean, what's your incentive to try to, to try to rejigger the system? It, it, you know, you don't have one. And 
you know, just, just from the reality of the situation at this point, I mean, I, I don't know that the NCAA wants to pick many battles right now. It feels like every battle that the NCAA is embroiled in, they lose uh, or, or, or something dramatically changes, um, you know, just, just in, in the last, what, four years, NIL transfer portal, just, just, you know, now, now you have uh, the Dartmouth basketball team doing the, the union vote. Um, there's no telling what, what that's going to change in the next four years. I, I don't know that the NCAA even really wants to get involved, even even as much as they can. And if they could, I don't know what the what the solution really is. I feel like a broken record. I feel like that could be my catchphrase on this podcast. I don't know what the what the solution is, <laughs> but, you know, I I, I really don't. I'm, I'm sort of at a loss. It's I, I feel like we're headed. Uh, we, we had a fork in the road. And and we took we took one of the paths and it's too yeah. far it's too far to turn back now we, mm-hmm. we the decision has been made and and you know you sort of have to ride this road out and figure out what's you know the only way to figure out what's 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 coming is is to keep driving down that road I guess it's too far down the road and too early to tell where you're going and and, and I think that is what it is we we're we're in a we're in a spot here where college football has no direction and they have a lot of changes that have been made and they know for a fact that this is something that they have to make because number one the government told them to make it and number two (laughs) they know what the situation was before they had all the power they made all the money that that was never going to change but I, i think the shame of it is the way it was where the programs had the power and the ncaa had the power and the players had none was sustainable Maybe it's just because it was what we've always known, but it was sustainable. This situation where the players can come and go as they want and where they make money is not sustainable. And I know that is patently unfair to the players, but it's true. We're, we're in a spot here where, you know, a higher state can do what they want. First of all, they were able to go out and get Bill O'Brien. Just able to go out and get him. Former NFL head coach, uh, former longtime NFL offensive coordinator, former Big Ten head coach whatever, however you want to look at Bill O'Brien, they had the wherewithal financially to go out and get the guy. Then they lose him. And within hours, they go out and get the same guy. (laughs) It's, it's amazing what they've been able to do. Penn state wouldn't be able to do that. If Penn state, and we saw it when Penn state loses their offensive coordinator, it's a week long search. They're looking through the college ranks. I mean, they interview guys with, with NFL experience. Sure. But they're probably not the big names. They're probably not the guys who are, Longtime NFL head coaches or, or, or you know, Belichick ties or, or whatever. They, they're just not, that's not what they're looking at ever. They never get that kind of guy. They didn't get him this year. Andy Kotelnicki is an up and coming college coordinator. That's what he is. And as good as, as good as he might be, he doesn't have the NFL pedigree. And, th- and that NFL pedigree comes with cost. Same with Tom Allen. Tom Allen's a really good defensive coordinator hire. Who would Ohio State get if they had to? They, 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 they'd hit the NFL market because they could. They have that kind of wherewithal. And there's other programs like that too. It just is the way it is. So it, it has become extremely money-driven in a sport that was only privately money-driven in the past. <laughs> and I, but I think what, what hurts the game most and what they really have to tackle is the player movement where you have a kid for one year and then he can go the next year or he can decide he doesn't want to play this game or that game without a little bit of extra money, uh, whatever it is. I I, I think that... Everything else is kind of 
what college sports were destined to become once this this rule was changed and once once the Supreme Court decided that players could earn money on on, on their own name, image, and likeness. But I don't know if anybody really thought that the player movement year to year was going to be as as high as it as it is. I, I think they thought it was going to be significant, of course, but I don't know if they thought it was going to be prevalent. And it, and it is prevalent. And and James said yesterday that he's very proud of Penn State not being a big portal team. And when you look at it, they gave away four scholarships out of the portal this year. That's not a lot compared to what Ohio State did. And he said, oh, also, don't, don't lose a lot of guys either, which they don't. They don't lose a lot of guys to the portal, comparatively speaking. But that's going to change. It just is. The portal's not getting smaller. The portal's getting bigger. And when James says something like, yes, we've been on a slippery slope for a while. We have to embrace what the game is becoming. I don't know if you could embrace what the game is becoming. Obviously, people are always going to watch college football. There's going to be an interest level in it that's very high. But I could tell you, just as a, a football fan, I don't pay as much attention to the NFL anymore because it's hard to get attached to players. There's no long-term contracts in the game. It's hard to get attached to the one guy if, if it's not a quarterback. Where like, I'm a Steelers fan. And Heinz Ward and Alan Fanica were my two favorites. Well, they wouldn't be lifetime stealers these days with the with the cap the way it is and with the way they develop players and, 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 the, and the way they look at positions now as commodities and how you kind of can build through the draft at some point at, at every one of these positions and get cheaper and potentially maybe not better, but cheaper is a better thing to be than than better. I, I think it's the way I want to put that. So you, you do lose a little bit of that connection i think and 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 i believe that that's why people loved college football why why it became what it is because a lot of people go to college and they have ties to their university and those players who go there always had that four-year tie there was something everybody had in common i had something in common with lavar errington we both went to the same school at the same time took the same classes whatever lived in the same place i don't know that 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 exists anymore and i don't know that it's going to exist anymore unless they go to a collective bargaining agreement where players are signing contracts, but I don't know why players would want to do that. I, I would think they would want to do what's going on now. Why wouldn't you want all-time free agency? And, and we'll we'll come and go as we please. They, they do it in a second. And that's what these guys have. You know, we're talking about this kind of, you mentioned Dartmouth, the basketball team, they, they want to unionize. Those players are going to be employees of the school and can unionize. That's what it is. Once you unionize, why would you do something that isn't beneficial to the union? especially when the rule in place says that you already have the very best scenario for your working class. I, I don't understand why, why we think this could be fixed. I, I, and, and, I, and I hate to be the <laughs> pessimist here, but I don't understand it. I, I'm not sure why we, we're, we're so convinced that the Big Ten and the SEC are going to do what's right for everybody and make this a, a game that kind of resembles what we all knew. Well, you, you bring up the loyalty factor of, of, of fan interest when it, when it comes to the players, you know, you, you I, I think about how many, and again, I, I get it. I, I get why a, a quarterback would, would, would want to transfer, right? I mean, we, we talked about Will Levis to use a Penn state example. There's absolutely no reason why Will Levis should spend his career as a backup to Sean Clifford when there's opportunities at Kentucky that can turn him into an NFL NFL draft pick, um, you know, a projected first round draft pick, future starting NFL quarterback on his rookie deal. 
you know, I, I, I get it from the player perspective, but as a, as a fan, you know, if you're a fan of Kentucky, sure. You're excited that Will Levis has come. You're, you're certainly excited that, you know, all of a sudden you have a quarterback that's dynamic and can win you football games. And, you know, I think he was important in Kentucky's continuation up the the SEC mountain a little bit. You know, Kentucky is in a different place than it was when I entered college as a football program. And part of that is 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 due to the transfer of Will Levis. Um, but then then you have you have teams like I, I go back to Oklahoma when when Jalen Hurts transfers from Alabama to Oklahoma. Sure. Oklahoma was was definitely happy to receive Jalen Hurts in a year that that they needed a quarterback. Um, I, I think Jalen Hurts was the runner up for the Heisman that year. Um, but again, I, what what ties do you have to him other than thank God <laughs> we have a, a a savior coming in at quarterback? I, I don't know that that's a. It's certainly a different perspective on college football fandom to have to have sort of the you lose the the growth aspect i mean you you look at bringing it back to penn state i mean trace mcsorley has has one of the best you could call it a cinderella run at quarterback that that you've ever seen i mean he's a he's a homegrown talent he's from the the region i know you know he's not a pennsylvania kid but you know from from virginia it's a it's a recruiting pipeline for penn state and you know you, you watch him blossom and eventually become, you know the 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 leader of the team. He brings a swagger to the team. He 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 eats, sleeps, and breathes Penn State. I, I think you lose some of that in the transfer portal. You know maybe McSorley is a bad example. I don't know if McSorley tr- transfers somewhere and, and becomes a a starting quarterback. But like I said, it, it's better for Will Levis to transfer. It's better for Kentucky for Will Levis to transfer in the short term where it is as a program. But Penn State spends all this time learning about Will Levis. They spend all this time cheering for Will Levis to come in in support of Sean Clifford. Uh, perhaps some pockets of the fan base <laughs> cheering him <laughs> on, encouraging him to replace Sean Clifford. Nah. Uh, but but regardless, you know, the, the uh, you build up all this goodwill, and then all of a sudden he's gone, and he he's wearing a different jersey. I I don't know. It's just it's it's different. And and like I said, was Penn State better off with with Levis gone? Uh, you could make the argument maybe it was a distraction with with I, I don't know that that anybody would necessarily publicly say that or anything, but you know with 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 the outcry that was behind Clifford for a year, two years, I, I wonder if it's helpful to sort of reset the back of the quarterback room, and of course you let Clifford play out, you make the Rose Bowl, you bring Drew Aller in, you know. I, I, I don't know. It's 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 just it's certainly different. You, you brought up the the getting getting cheaper in the draft, and I, I I don't know that this is perfectly analogous, but I think a similar process is happening where quarterback development has gotten different too in in college football, and I I wonder if it's a little bit of a chicken in the egg thing with the transfer portal where I think teams are more willing to give you know a, a freshman a shot at. You know, developing into a quarterback. You know, you you see Drew Aller step in as a as a true sophomore into the the quarterback position. You know, you, you look around the league and you, you see the Trevor Lawrence's, you see the CJ Strouds, you see see these young players come in with these high ceilings. And 
you know, there, there's maybe less of a reason to, to be loyal to the guy who sits there behind your quarterback and, and, and waits for, for his fourth year. I mean, with, with the transfer portal, uh, you know, and I'm not saying this as, as this is going to happen, but you know, if Penn state allows Drew Aller to play out his whole career, you know, does Prabula stick around for his one year as a starter in the old model? He definitely does. I don't know if he will now he could, he certainly could, but I don't know. It's, it's different. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what all the repercussions is. I, I think you, your, your, your metaphor earlier of <laughs> we're too far down the road to turn back, but we're not far enough down to know what's coming. I think that's a perfect way to describe it. I, I don't, there, there's so many different angles you could take and, and I, I don't know what the fix is. I don't know. I don't think we fully know what situation we're in yet. There's a lot of things that are changing a lot of, you know, rules that are being made or avoided being made, but I, I don't know that we fully understand where we're at yet, even before we get to the legislation part. Winter workouts have begun and Every day, the assistant coaches, the position coaches do a you know, workout warrior of the day. And the quarterback's coach, it's Danny O'Brien. He's not the quarterback's coach, but he's the de facto quarterback's coach, is, is awarded for Beulah with the workout warrior of the day three times in a row. I don't know if anything was awarded today, but he's he's been given it three times in a row. And then yesterday, or maybe it was this morning, I don't remember, a story was sent to me that said, is there a quarterback controversy? You know, Prabula wins. <laughs> so I, I don't think there's a coincidence that Bo Prabula has been awarded that three times in a row. I, I just think that's the way the game, it's it's a lot about, and I don't want to say ego because I don't think that's what it is, but it's a lot about building confidence and showing appreciation and displaying value in, in, in kids now. I think that's now more important than ever if you want to keep your roster together. Uh, no, there's no quarterback controversy. Drew is going to be the quarterback, but they want to keep Bo around. They they do want him to play that one year. That that's ideally what what you would get. And and you said something earlier, and I think it was completely unintentional. But I but I <laughs> I thought it, I thought it was very apropos of where I wanted to go at some point in this discussion. But you said building the goodwill with with Levis, and it it really struck me is because I really believe that what's going to go. In this system, if if it goes on much longer, it's a development of players, you know, because you know, building the goodwill, Levis. <laughs> it's kind of a stretch now that I say it out loud, but <laughs> development's going out the window, you know. And and I I agree that James Franklin, what he says, you know, you you want to bring in kids and, and get them ready, and 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 he he kind of said it yesterday that that look there there to a lot of people there is no such thing as development anymore. Do you think that exists at Ohio State where they're bringing in a a four star guy and letting them get ready? No, they, they got to get ready. They have to be ready when they get there, or else their job is on the line every year. When you could just go out and get whoever you want, and the system allows that. And I think at Penn State, and I think ideally James Franklin wants to to build that way, the the, the traditional way, get a good prospect in, develop them preach patience. And that's what builds that number one, a good football player. Number two, that kind of kid that is a more traditional Penn state kid or a more traditional, whatever school kid who goes there and is, is the trace McSorley who, who understands the culture, who helps build the culture and, and establishes what you're doing. And I think you need a lot of those kids. I, 
you, you don't need just a couple and you don't need to just go find them anywhere that just because they're floating around on the street, you don't, you don't just bring them in for a year. That doesn't, that doesn't help. It makes you a, a, a formidable talent laden football team, but it, it doesn't make you a program. There, there's just a lot of schools now that are just going to completely build through the portal and do it through free agency. And there's teams in base. It, it's amazing to me how similar this is to baseball where you have the Tampa Bay Rays were drafting well and studying well and, and getting fits for what they want to do and fits for who they want to coach, the type of person they want to have. And it's successful to a point for them. Or you have a team like the Dodgers who just go out and whoever the big name is, they're going to go get them. They're going to trade for them. And, and, and their whole purpose, the Dodgers, the Yankees, of building up these stashes of young players so they can trade them for an established guy. Yeah, I, I think the young, talented kids at a lot of these major universities are going to become placeholders for the the kids who are already developed i i you know th- th- i don't think there's going to be such a thing anymore as getting a kid ready to play i i don't and i think that's where a guy like bill o'brien who has some experience with that is a good fit for boston college where that's not going to be as prevalent but at a place like ohio state a place like alabama georgia and georgia's not even that big a portal school but those kind of places, if they really want to just build through the portal every year and be really good, I think they can do it. And that's where I think the game is is in real trouble. They have to get to a certain point where development matters, where developing the person, developing the kid, because you're getting an 18-year-old and conceivably spitting out a 22 or a 23-year-old in a couple of years, and they better be ready for what the world has to offer because not all of them are going to the NFL, but I think 100% of them think they're going to the NFL. And if you continue to allow this nonstop free agency, they're all going to just pursue that. They're going to keep pursuing the NFL until it it spits them out. And in the meantime, they're not going to get ready for anything. So I I think there's got to be some measure of what Franklin said yesterday, which is the development of the kid, the development of the player. But I think that's going away. It's just, you know, you you, you go ready or you, you go. And that's, I, I think what a lot of coaches are kind of embracing right now because the rules allow it. I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and, you know, as, as the development sort of trickles away, I, I think there's even more repercussions that, that have to come as a result. I mean, I, I can't articulate them right now because I can't predict the future, but I mean, if you have a guy that, that spends the first three years of his career developing and putting on muscle and learning the system you know, eventually to maybe compete for that starting spot as a redshirt sophomore or as a true junior. And then he's replaced, he's supplanted by a, a portal guy. You know, now, now you've spent three of your five years in college pretty much. I don't want to say wasted because you've, you've been developed, but you know, you, you feel gypped and you, you probably should. I mean, it's, it's not like the school did anything wrong by, by bringing in somebody who's talented. It's their job to, to, to compete, but, you're the player that's that's passed over i i would feel a certain type of way i mean i don't know and i i don't know what the repercussions of that are yet i don't know if it's i don't know i, I you might see weaker recruiting classes i i don't know it's it's there's a lot of things that could happen with this it's a good way to build a program fast it's a smart way to build a program fast i, I just don't know if it's a, a way you could be as a fan proud of Sam, we'll talk about something more positive in the second half. We'll continue the all-James Franklin team. We'll talk guards and centers and cornerbacks when we come back after the break.
We continue this week with the all-James Franklin team. Honoring James's 10 seasons as head coach, we'll pick the Penn State players who would be on the all-James team from 2014 on uh, through last season. And last week, we did the the running backs and the safeties. Uh, I'll, I'll list who made it from, from those on the on the podcast uh, description there. So you can make sure to check that out. I was told, though, we forgot Adrian Amos in the yeah. corner or the safeties discussion last week. And I get that. Look, I I get it. I, I We probably probably could have went with Adrian Amos over. Uh, that's that's my bad. I'm the one who who picked Nick Scott. Should have went with, with Amos. <laughs> I, I mean, I should have. But too late now. And Nick Scott was deserving. But uh, Amos, certainly one of my favorites. Really good career. Was a corner. I remember more as a cornerback. And I remember him definitely more as a paterno and o'brien guy but yeah that's that's the world we live in we make mistakes we live with it and we we move on sometimes but today sam will do guards and centers and corners i'm asking you which one do you want to start with Ooh, i say we start with the uh with the offensive line okay so here's my only thing if you make it as a center you can't also make it as a guard because a lot of these guys switch between the two spots so so we'll start with center and we're only going to pick two but if you if you don't make it as a center, you can make it as a guard because I think a lot of these guys played both. At least yeah. the guys I'm considering. Do you want to go? You want first pick or second pick here? It doesn't matter to me because I I'll only take have first three pick guys. of the centers. You got we got first pick. Okay, you you could take him. Go ahead. I'll take uh, Juice Scruggs oh. as my one. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody would. I mean, that's the obvious one, right? Yes, I I, I just think that you know. Obviously, he he had a lot of adversity to overcome, um, and and, and he he, I, I don't know that the odds were in his favor, uh, after the the injury, um, and 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 for him to bounce back the way he did, and and uh, I I really felt like he developed over his his last couple years in the program, seeing him at that pro day, I I remember, because to me it was just full transparency, it was it was a surprise to me that he got drafted in the second round. Um, I know I know you said maybe it wasn't as much of a surprise for you, but for me, I you know, I kind of thought uh, certainly a later round draft pick for him, especially because it's so hard for for centers to stand out. Um, but I, I remember he got a uh, he had a strong pro day and I remember watching the the commander's coach or, or the executive or whoever was there was somebody in commander's gear, hold him off to the side and talk to him for man, it must have been 10, 15 minutes and. I don't know. It was it was it was a payoff for a guy that I think was was more important to that unit than maybe people realize, you know, a a very well-deserving captain. We talked about Jair Brown last week and how much of a leader he was. I think Juice not only was a very strong center and that's why you see him as a starter in the NFL right now, but but also just as a leader. Um, You know, he was he was always very. He was always great with the media, frankly, just very open, very honest, very transparent, and uh, and 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 you know not not afraid to <laughs> to to point out when things needed to get fixed, but always in a very positive way. So I I think for me it's easy as 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 a threefold example of skill on the field, leadership off the field, and then future obviously NFL success. I can I can only imagine what's coming for him. Yeah, Juice would have been my number one pick there for all the reasons you mentioned, and I, I won't rehash them, but I remember that pro day 
the two guys who I think had the most interest from the coaches there that I visibly saw. Well, I mean, everyone thought Joey Porter was going in the first round, but there wasn't as many people around Joey Porter as there were around uh, Juice and Brenton Strange. And, and I and they both went a little bit higher than I think the original pre-draft conventional wisdom had them going. So that's why I wasn't as surprised that they went as early as they did. But certainly Juice is the number one center. I think that might be the easiest pick of all of the remaining positions for first teamers. I, I really do. I, I don't think there's anyone really who is in the same league as Juice as a, as a center at Penn State over the Franklin tenure. Uh, my second teamer, or my, yeah, it's going to be the second team, or my pick would be Michael Mennett. Kind of between him and Norzad, Mennett had the longer career, just a steadier player, I think. Certainly was a five-star kid when he came in. Uh, didn't live up to that level of production or dominance, but he was certainly a very, very steady player, and was you could put him out there. He was never going to hurt you. A uh, kid we talked about in the first segment, uh, you know, he lived the Penn State way. He was never going to leave. He came in, trusted the process, got better, was the best version of himself when he left. Uh, I, I don't think he was anything dynamite, but certainly as a second team center on this team goes, I, I, I pick him over over someone like Brian Gaia or Hunter Norzad. He, he, he's the best of that second group. And I, I mean, do you have any other thoughts on that? Was there somebody else you would have picked there? Because I, I would certainly listen, but to me, it's it's Mennett, and and I don't really think there's a particularly close third. No, I, I was I was happy you picked Mennett actually, because um, I, I agree with basically everything you said. I I don't know that he necessarily stood out at center. I mean, oh, it's, he it's, like yeah. I said, it's hard to stand out as a center. But yeah. if only I, I would have picked him second team, just like you did. If only for the reason that it's his fault that there's not many other players to choose from. You know, he was he was so consistent at the center position that he was the center for what felt like 15 years. So yeah, he, he had <laughs> there's most nobody of the, else to choose from. Most of the Franklin tenure to himself. So he almost had to. <laughs> so now we're going to throw the other guys out. They're all back in. Some of the guys I mentioned, they're all back in for the for the guard consideration. Uh, you want first pick for guard or do you want the, the second and third? I'll take I'll, I'll 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 flip with you. I'll take second and third. All right. I, I had some trouble with this one because I don't know who I, this is one I would really have preferred the second and third pick because <laughs> I, I think there's several options at two and three. I would very, I would very much like to take my number one guy at number two and then get the third, but I'm going to go with, and this is maybe the hometown bias here, but Connor McGovern is going to be my number one went to Lake Lehman. I, I, I really like Connor really think he's a, 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 a terrific guy. Uh, he was, a, he was a very steady kind of the minute of guards. He was, he was steady. He's had a really good NFL career, which I think separates him from some of the other guys on the list. But I thought for for a guy who came in and was was ready to go as a freshman, played a lot as a freshman, I think he's turned into an NFL player. I, I think he was steady. I don't think he was anything spectacular at Penn State. I think he's been a better pro than a college player. And I think that's the ultimate tribute to him because I'm not necessarily sure I anticipated that. <laughs> but you know, for, a, for a guy who played it at, and dominated at Lake Lehman, which is a smaller school in a, in a district that doesn't necessarily have a million top football prospects in it, I thought he really went and held his own at Penn State. And I, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going McGovern with my first pick here because I, I really do think he's the best of the, of the bunch, but I think it's close. And I think you're going to have a, a, a couple of guys here to choose from with the, with the fourth pick. Or the second and third picks, excuse me. Not, and then I have to worry about the fourth pick. 
Yeah, I mean, it's funny. McGovern was going to be my uh, my first pick as well if I oh, was wow. given the okay. first pick. Yeah, um, I, I know it may sound like you said, like like home cooking a little bit, but you know, I I I think I, when I was doing my, you know, I was reading up on everybody before getting on the podcast. I think I saw he was the um, the the first offensive lineman to win Big Ten Freshman of the Week. Um, I, I know that's not, you know, it's not a. Uh, <laughs> a national award or anything like that. But I, I don't know. I, I, especially with how, with how some of these awards go and just how, how, how much easier, it, how much easier it is for skilled position players to draw attention as freshmen, as opposed to, you know, an offensive lineman. I think that that's, that's, uh, that's telling to me. And and the fact that he could, he could play multiple positions and, and at such a young age comparatively to some of these, these other big 10 players. I don't think he necessarily ever played his best position, which I still think is center. And he still doesn't yeah. play it. So <laughs> that shows you what yeah, I know, I, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, he he would have been my my first pick. I, I think I agree with your sentiment that you said a, a minute ago. I, I, I don't know that I feel strongly about who I'll pick for the first team, but I feel like they deserve to be in the group of four both of both of my picks at two and three if that makes sense yeah i don't know where they land on these rankings so i think for my second first team pick i think i'm gonna go this is tough i think i'm gonna go sal wormley okay he's on my Um, list he's on my list i I think i think sal deserves it and i like i said I, i i i don't know that Everybody will agree with me on the on the first team versus the second team, but um, Sal, for similar reasons to uh, Minette, has uh, has earned my has earned a place on this this squad for me just because of how how long he's stayed um, within the program, how, how long he's been a contributor with the program. Not not just you know it's not just a loyalty thing for for Sal as much as it is if. Franklin sees something in you, you know, you, you have a spot on, on, on the field. He, he missed his, uh, I think it was the what 2021 season um, because of injury. But ever since then, you know, he he's, he's constantly on the field. He's constantly available. Um, and, and they, 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 they make, they make room for him on the field. And I, I, I don't know, to me, that speaks volumes. Um, it, it's, it's tough to evaluate offensive linemen individually i think just because the everything is so so team centric up in, in the trenches but I, I i take wormley for his um just for his longevity yeah i, I think he's a good player yeah. I, I don't know that he's spectacular i they, they haven't had a, a mike munchak or a, a jeff hardings or a marco rivera in this run they at, at, at guard but they've had some steady players and i think that's what we're really trying to parse here is, is who is the steadiest and who, you know, who, who belongs just through that. But, but you're right. I mean, Wormley would be a three-year starter right now if he didn't miss the, the 2020 season. Was it the 2020 season or is it 2020? No, it's 2021 because he started the last two years, but he would have started 2021. And by all accounts, they missed him. They, they thought he was going to be a factor in that team of the, of the group at Penn state right now, where I think you could look at this, last year's Penn state line and say, it's the best one they've had or the year before and say, it's the best one they've had, but he's been the steadiest guard. So I, I'm certainly not going to knock Wormley as the, as, as the first teamer. And I think 
I was really considering him. And, and when, when my pick comes up, I, I, I'm really still debating who to take because, <laughs> uh, and, and I'll tell you why in a, in a minute, I probably, it'd probably be cheating to do it the way I was going to do it. So I'm, so I'm reconsidering, but <laughs> we'll, we'll go with your, your first second teamer here. So for my, my first second teamer. And like I said, it's, it's not necessarily a, I don't know that he's the third best guard of the Franklin era, but seeing as I only have one more pick in the guard section, I want to make sure he's on the team. Um, I think I'm going to take Landon Tangwall. Okay. Oh, there's a, there's a controversial one. A, yes. a little bit, a little bit controversial. And and here's why I, I take him for similar reasons to why I would have considered taking journey Brown. Um, you know, I, I think we made the right choice at Saquon and Miles Sanders for the first team, but I wouldn't have been, incredibly upset if journey Brown had received um, some conversation for that second spot. I mean, obviously miles, you know, passes him as, as we said, but you know, I, I take Tangwa here just because I, I, you know, injuries cut his, cut his career short. Um, and I, I, I think that Tangwa was, was a, was a strong fixture last season. Well, the, uh, the 2022 season, <laughs> excuse me. I don't know. I, I feel like they missed him. It's you know the the offensive line fared well this season, but but I, I think Tangwall was was poised for some good things. I know I know he missed a lot of uh, last season after the injury, but you know in, in in those games that he played, to me it felt like he was he was set up to be a, a cornerstone of that offensive line for the future. I know he he retired very young, so that's that's why that's maybe where the controversy comes from. And, and this is a little bit of a projection, but to me how strong he played in those those first couple of games in the 2022 season and then sort of the 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 struggle they had replacing him and i know that there's some there's some other uh, factors at play there i felt like they they must have come into the now again the offensive line played played fine this year but you know they they must have come into the season expecting different results if Tangwall was 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 a starter and so i i uh he probably would have been a fourth pick for me just because of his inexperience but i i don't know i i this one's a projection based pick if i'm gonna if i'm gonna pick freshmen and sophomores um at certain other positions you know i i feel like it's fair to take a uh a guy who had to retire at that age i i think it's fair uh i, I don't know that he started enough for me that I would have picked him. In fact, I'll be honest with you, he wasn't on my list, but I did consider him. He wasn't on my list of guys to look at, but I'd have considered him. And, and you've put me in a position where I know of guys <laughs> on my list that I don't necessarily think should be on here. So um, the guy, so I'll be, I'll be fair about it. The guy you want to put on is Ryan Bates, mm-hmm. but I think there's a, I think you could argue that he wasn't a guard. He was a tackle at Penn state. He started more games at tackle, but I thought he was a better guard. So, but he certainly was a good enough tackle to make as a tackle. So I, I really don't want to take him off the tackle list. So I'm going to leave him and I'm not going to put Ryan Bates on, even though he, st- he started a bunch at left guard. I thought he was a really, really good player there. And then they kind of messed around with him at right tackle and left tackle. And he started a bunch of different places. And I was really trying to look for a, a reason where uh, this long stretch where he was just a guard and I, I, I couldn't find it even up until about 10 seconds ago, there just isn't. So I'm, I'm going to consider him a tackle and I'm going to remove him from the list. I, I don't, Norzad was a guard for a year. He wasn't the starter. He kind of took the job after Tangwall got hurt. So can't say Tangwall didn't start enough at guard and then say Norzad did. 
I'm not going to put JB Nelson on because I like JB Nelson, but he's split time. I'm not going to put Vega on. So it really leaves me with, I don't know. I, 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 the guy I'm going to go with is Brendan Mann. I, I really take him over Steven Gonzalez, but the, I, I think he was a, a really good player on an offensive line that wasn't really great. But Mann played a lot more guard than he did tackle. His play was kind of sullied by those really tough to watch offensive lines in the 2014, 15 seasons. He played in 16, uh, but I, I like, I like man enough to put him on as the, as the second, second teamer. Uh, you could talk me out of that, but he's to me, the best of what's left for the qualifications. No, I, I, I don't have a problem with that. Um, okay. I, I would have Ryan Bates was the one that I was, I was considering over Tangwall, but for the exact same reasons that, that you stated, it's hard to, like you said, he's, he's probably a better guard, but. And he's an yeah. NFL guard. It feels like cheating though. When, yeah. You, when you've played so much at a, at a position, it, it would be like putting Tommy Stevens at, at quarterback instead of lion or whatever yeah. he played. <laughs> so. Or, uh, or moving Mike at a defensive end or something. Yeah. It's... Something crazy like that where, where he's been, where he, he played a little bit of, or, or Jair Brown is a, linebacker or something yeah yeah it, it doesn't make any sense it it, it 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 technically you can make a case but it's it doesn't it doesn't work out to it's not it's not the spirit of the competition and and i'm always about the spirit of the competition <laughs> so so we're gonna go with scruggs and men at center and then we're gonna go with mcgovern warmly on the first team at guard with landon tangwell and and brendan mann we're good at, at guard i mean that was a tough one that was that was, I, I still am not convinced we did the right things there, but we, we came as close as we could. And that we're just doing I the do best think, we can. I do think this team at guard, th- this position may be more than any other. I think this group is going to look very different if we have this conversation in four or five years. Yeah, it might might look very different next year. It really yeah. might, because Vega is going to be, Vega and Nelson are going to play a lot. I don't know if Nelson's going to be at, at guard. Sal's going to play more. It, it's going to be, it's going to look a lot different. So, so yeah, for right now, for the for the ten year team, I, this is what we're working with, and we'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> Do you want first or, first pick or the snake pick on the cornerbacks? I'll leave this up to you since I I, I took the offensive line picks. I'll I'll go I'll go first pick here. Okay, on cornerbacks because I I think I feel more strongly about the first pick than I do the rest. So obviously I'm going Joey Porter Jr. I, I just think he's I don't know if it's obvious, but I'm going with Joey Porter Jr. I, I just think he's the steadiest guy, then the best pro. Not that that matters so much to me as, as the college career, but had a really great college career. And we saw it this year a little bit with, you know, with, with a guy like Kalen King who came in with a lot of hype because he had a lot of interceptions. Well, now we see why he had a lot of interceptions because people were throwing away from Joey Porter. He was a, a very impactful, steady cornerback who people were afraid of physically. And I, and I think that that, adds something different than any of these other guys that I am I'm considering was. He was a much more physical player, much more intimidating presence, looks like a modern-day cornerback. I think he's kind of the template. And if James Franklin is going to be honest, if you give him some truth serum, he's going to want 10 cornerbacks on his roster who are like Joey Porter rather than 10 <laughs> cornerbacks on his roster who are like anybody else, And, I, and, and physically speaking. And, you know, I don't I don't care so much about the interceptions when it's – you're not throwing his way. There's just less opportunities for him. He w- he took really good receivers and shut them down. And 
if Joey Porter is on last year's Penn State team, they don't lose to Ohio State. I, and, I, and I think that's the biggest compliment I could pay him. He's my first pick. And I, I think he'd have been yours too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Especially because because of what you said. I mean, I, I think you're right. If, if that defense has Joey Porter Jr. this year, I mean, I, I I don't know that you ever fully, especially in college football, maybe maybe we'll feel differently in the NFL, but you know, I, I certainly don't know that you ever fully take Marvin Harrison Jr. out of a game. But if there was ever a corner in Penn State's history that would that would do it, it's the guy that left yeah. the year before they really needed him. Yeah. Um the story of Penn State's uh last 10 years, really. They they were the players <laughs> short that they already had. Yeah. A lot of times. Yeah, that's that's actually a fascinating point. I don't know that I've ever thought about it that way, especially with with Parker Washington on offense yep. this year. You know, Micah and Journey in the COVID year. Man, it's Dotson, uh, Dotson two years ago. Yeah. Man. I mean, if they have Dotson, maybe a little bit different in, in, in the year they lost two games. That's that's fascinating. Um, but yeah, I mean, regardless, I, I think you're absolutely right about Joey Porter Jr. I don't I don't have much more to add outside of what you did. You know, it was clear that we were seeing an NFL player uh, throughout the 2022 season. As for my second pick, my my second pick for the first team, I think I'm going to go Amani Oruarie. You know, I, I I think it's a little bit of a uh, it's it's for maybe a different reason than Joey Porter Jr. Um, you know, but, but I, I and you you may disagree with me. I I don't know necessarily that he put people on an island per se. But but I I think that that he's a, a corner that's production and success is is pretty inarguable to me, you know not not to mention his his success in the NFL. Um, I, I think it was a fourth fifth round pick. Certainly the Lions um, enjoyed having him in that secondary. You know of course injuries sort of hampered him in the NFL a little bit. But yeah, I, I think for me he's a he's a different style of corner than than Joey Porter Jr. But I, I take him over some of the guys that I think we'll we'll have at third and fourth. Yeah, I, I think with with Oruarie, if you like Joey Porter a lot, you're gonna like Oruarie a little. They were kind of the same uh, ilk, you know, the bigger guys, longer arms. Uh, Oruarie wasn't as physical, I don't believe as as Joey was, but Oruarie could turn you over, and 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 he. He got thrown at a little bit more, but he showed the propensity to, to, to pick off the ball. And that's what I kind of liked about him most. He would have been definitely on the team for me. I, I, I probably would have taken him with the with the second pick. But I, you know, I, I just like him physically better than uh, anybody else. I, the real interesting arguments come on the third team and the, or the <laughs> second team. But uh, yeah, I, I think Amani, uh, to me, was the most productive and, and, and the most intimidating of the of the rest of the corners and and i and i like that I, I i thought he was he was super steady and i'm not gonna there's other guys who i think had higher profiles when they were when they were at penn state but certainly he was he, he's worthy of production wise play wise talent wise i i think it was actually underdrafted uh into yeah. the nfl i think he should have been picked a, lo- a little bit higher so for my first pick of the second team i think i'm putting you in a you know Weird spot for the fourth. You're going to put me in a weird spot anyway, because I think there's four <laughs> guys I'm considering right now. I, I, I think that the, the group that you can draw from right now is all pretty similar. Um, but I, to me, one guy, there was only one other guy that, that was in consideration for the first team for me. And that's why, you know, I'm picking him here. I'll take Kalen King 
um, on the second team. And and if you had asked me at the beginning of this season, I I, I might have considered putting him over Omani, but I felt like this year, you know, and I I, I don't I don't mean to to. <laughs> I don't mean to be negative by any stretch, but because because Kalen's a, I'll start with the positives. I mean, Kalen's a very a very good corner. Um, he's going to be he'll be playing on Sundays, you know, in in support of Joey Porter Jr. two seasons ago and in 2022. You know, I, I think that showed. You know, he's a he's got good hands. He's a good cover corner. But uh, the, I think the reason why he's he's to me more firmly in this this group of the second teamers that that I'm sure you'll you'll. <laughs> you'll you'll point out who your who your other picks were is is because of this past season I, I i really think he played himself out of the first round um that that's not that's not an indictment on on his his skill or anything like that but but just in terms of production and and everything like that i really thought marvin harrison really worked him in that ohio state game and, and i don't mean to extrapolate too much from one game but as we said i think joey porter jr is the difference in that game um and with with Kalen being the replacement uh, covering him, you know, you can't put Kalen over Joey Porter. And for me, you know, I, I, I like Amani better at that first team spot than, than Kalen. It's hard, it's hard to be negative about a guy who, who, who has been so productive there. He's, he's been a, a program guy really developed and come into his own. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think he's, he's one of the better corners in recent memory. Yeah. I, I agree with everything you said. <laughs> and I will be, I, this is going to be the most controversial thing. I think probably anybody has said about this team, <laughs> but to this point, <laughs> I may not have put them on. And I think that's very recency biased. I think because, and you know, we, we talk a lot about if, you know, next year, it might be different. I think next year it might be different for me because I might've put Kalen King on with, with the benefit of some time that passed, but I, I just don't think he was that good last year. And no. I, it didn't sit well with me that he sat the bowl game out and I certainly understand it didn't sit well anyway, because I think he did it late. I think he really should have played, would have helped himself. I, I think that would have been the, the sporting thing to do would have been to, to play that game. Uh, but, but you're right. His 2022 season impeccable. He, he was really great that year, but I, I think there were some guys who, you know, on this list who had more than one good year. And I might have, I might, I might have left them off for two other guys on this list. I, I, I'm really torn between two guys. And it's probably not fair to Kalen King because he's probably better than those two guys. But that's the way I, I was thinking. I was kind of hoping you pick between the two guys that I'm still considering. <laughs> so one of them is, one of them is controversial. I don't know. Maybe it's not controversial. Maybe recency bias is going to help me here. But and I'm not going to be the little league dad at the draft who says, "Oh, we should add picks here or there so I can get this guy <laughs> or that guy." But I, but we really probably should have had Nichols involved here too. Yeah, but we're not because I think it makes it a much more interesting debate because I am really torn between between two guys. I really am. I still to this moment don't know which one of them I'm going to take. I am very torn, but I think in fairness, I'm going to split the difference and compromise and pick Grant Haley. Gotcha. I I really still to this moment, even after officially picking Haley, <laughs> you would think that the weight would be lifted off my shoulders and that I'd feel good about it. And I still want to put Daquan Hardy on this team. I, wow. I just think he is a, he's a guy who the ball found 
for a long time. And he made yes. a lot of big plays for a lot of years. And I and, and we I could argue Johnny Dixon, I guess. I'll argue Castro Fields, who was one of my favorites. I think he got a, a reputation for giving up some big plays. But I thought when he was at his best and playing healthy, he was really, really good. Christian Campbell, another kid I, pit, I, I considered, certainly considered John Reed. But I'm going to go with Haley because I think he made a lot of big plays. And... Again, same Marcus Allen argument. You can't you can't leave the kid who made the biggest play of the program during those ten years and leave him off the team. That's a, just a, a defining line of demarcation moment: the the block kick and the return by Haley against Ohio State. So I'm I'm going to put Grant Haley on because I think he was a very solid cornerback who had a nice little run in the NFL. Good special teams guy probably fits into that nickel mold if we're really playing a game with these guys, but it's kind of in a little bit of protest because I think Hardy should be on the team. I think it's funny you brought up everybody that was on my my short list. Uh, we we hit all four of the guys who were picked, and then Castro Fields, John Reed, Johnny Dixon, Daquan Hardy, all of whom I think have been very strong corners in the James Franklin era. I don't know, corner's been a pretty pretty good position for them in recent memory. I, I think we made the right choice on the, the two first teamers to me. I think they were, they're pretty clear, but yeah, I, I think there's an argument to be made. And I think there's a reason why maybe this is a small thing. It's a stupid thing to extrapolate from, but I, I think there's a reason why they announce a nickel corner as a starter at, at, at Beaver stadium. You know, they announced three starting cornerbacks yeah. because part of it, because they, they do play in the nickel um, in, in today's, today's version of the sport so often, but you know, it, I think another part of it is just making their players feel valuable because there's so many, so many talented defensive backs on the team and have been in recent memory that, you know, you got to keep them all happy and for good reason. I mean, that, that group of Kalen, Johnny Dixon, Daquan Hardy, um, you know, a a lot of programs around the country would be very happy with that trio. Yeah. I, 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 we probably should have included Nichols, but I didn't think there was anybody as impactful as, is Hardy. So I just, and he played cornerback. So let's, let's put him in there. I like I, the I, controversy too. Yeah. I, I like the, the forcing us to pick four. Yeah. I, I, I love that. I, I think there's no, there's no fun with it. If, if you're not going to be controversial about it <laughs> and some, <laughs> if, if there isn't a tough pick. And I think that was a, that was a tough pick. And I think Kalen King, an easy pick, but a tough pick at the same time. So I think we both had to make a, a, a tough decision. You, I wasn't going to put King on. So you had to do it. <laughs> so <laughs> Uh, speaking of Jair Brown, you're not a betting man, Sam. <laughs> I don't, I don't think you're, I don't think you're on FanDuel all the time, but we both placed, I, I know I placed my first ever bet, put $10 on the plus 27,000 odds that Jair Brown would win the Super Bowl MVP award. And damn it. He almost got it. Yeah. We were, I, we were, I, that, we, we were about five inches away there in the fourth quarter. I, I, Remember, we talked about it the week leading up to the Super Bowl at work, and I said, look, I don't think Jair Brown's going to win Super Bowl MVP, but all it's going to take is some impactful play in the fourth quarter to end the game, as we saw with Malcolm Butler in that Patriots-Seahawks game. It's happened before, and is it sure Jair's a a rookie, but he's the starting safety on that team, and he he has that pick earlier in the game, and as, as... Mahomes and the Chiefs are driving down the field. I was going, oh my God. Yeah. If if Jair does something here to 
<laughs> to disrupt this uh, <laughs> this crazy comeback. I, I think Donnie and I just made a, a, a bazillion dollars. Yeah. yeah, both of us put put a put a little bit of money down on on Jair because he's also <laughs> the exact type of person who will win MVP in the Super Bowl. He always seems to be in the right place at the right time. He always figures it out. And that's a hell of a story. I mean, it, it, to get an, to intercept Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, that's a hell of a story for a guy who had one Division three offer coming out of high school. It just is, is a really, really great deal. And I was I was personally upset that the game didn't go his way. I didn't, if he wasn't on the 49ers, I wouldn't care who won the game. But I was certainly rooting for the guy who, known since his days at Lackawanna and became a, a real Penn State sensation and a and a terrific guy who was respected at Penn State, but uh, our, our our good friend Greg Kincaid from the Sports Information Office this morning reminded me that's the first Penn State player to intercept a pass since Super Bowl thirty five. Remember who it was? You probably weren't even. That was no, a long time ago for you. I was not alive for that. You were not alive. <laughs> it was uh, it was the Baltimore Ravens safety Kim Herring, who an, an underrated Penn State player all time but kim herring had a good career remember who he picked off you certainly don't we'll close Let's the show see. with who were they playing the giants oh wolf. no carrie uh, collins. collins yep he intercepted a penn state quarterback so that's where we ah, stand the penn state connection yeah the penn state connection sam thanks so much for uh for joining the show this week as always and we will uh we'll talk more next week we'll, we'll, we'll continue the james franklin team and we'll sure find something else to discuss as as we move forward with changing world of college football thanks so much for joining us this week this is donnie collins and we'll see you soon